Hey, Craig here on the third floor. Now, this might shock you, but yesterday I played my first game of the new edition of Malifaux. I wanted to share a few thoughts with you on this solo episode. There are few things better than unplugging, stepping away from the screens, and sitting around a table to do battle with your friends. Every week, we bring you the latest strategies, tactics, and reviews on board games, card games, and miniature games like Malifaux. Whether you want to learn useful information on the games you already play, or get insight on other games people are playing, you are in the right place. Welcome to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Unfortunately for you guys, you're going to have to endure a solo episode, but uh, I wanted to kind of get my thoughts um, out there uh, while they were still fresh. Yesterday, I actually played my first game of the third edition of Malifaux, which some of you might find a little uh, surprising considering how much material uh, Ray and I are putting out here on the third floor related to third edition Malifaux, but um, I had not actually played it yet. Uh, All throughout the beta... I watched it very closely, read everything, read a lot of the forums and the Facebook posts, um, uh, our local chats. Uh, we had a lot of very active uh, beta testers here local. So, uh, you know, not, nothing new to me. And I felt very in tuned with uh, the game and its changes and iterations, but did not actually play myself. And I think the main reason for that is uh, I have a hard enough time remembering rules and understanding things when things aren't changing every week. So let's first start off by tipping our hats to all of you out there that were actively participating in the beta. Because of you guys, I think we ended up with a really good game. Uh, You have more patience and bigger brains than I do. So I really appreciate all the work that you guys did out there that, uh, you know, helped with the beta. But uh, any Hulu, I finally got my uh, first M3E game in. Uh, yesterday morning, I was um, kind of starting to feel ready to um, to play. And around that time, Christian, one of the local henchmen um, out of the Greensboro area, uh, was reaching out and said he was going to be here in the Raleigh area and wanted to play, get a game in. I love playing Christian. He and I uh, always end up paired up against each other in tournaments, and every game we've ever played is good, despite the fact that he's a dirty arcanist. Um, and for those that uh, don't know our don't know this already, that is the one faction that I hate the most. But uh, I got the cards printed, and uh, after work, drove down to the local store, and Christian and I got our first game in. And I just want to quickly lay down some of my initial thoughts um, about both the game and about. Uh, the uh, crews that uh, we put on the table. So I brought Molly and uh, I'd never played Molly in second edition. I uh, finally got her painted up and I uh, was really anxious to put my freshly painted models up on the table. Uh, very quickly, I had uh, Molly, I had Archie, Philip and the Nanny, two of the Rabble Risers, which is the new name for punk zombies, two Cruelligans, Forgotten Marshal, and a Necrotic Machine. So it was a completely thematic keyword uh, list. And uh, Christian brought uh, Ramos from the Dead Man's Hand. Uh, I want to start off by, you know, what my thoughts were on the game in general. First off, it definitely felt more streamlined. 
Um, it seemed cleaner uh, than second edition. Unfortunately, by the time the fourth or fifth book came out in second edition, things had gotten pretty um, overwhelming rules-wise. It seemed that every new model that came out kind of changed things, and the way the models interacted got more and more complicated. Uh, the game just felt cleaner. It, what was really shocking is we... Christian and I got there. Christian had played five or six M3E games. I'd never played one. And we set up our terrain, went through all creating the pool, revealing our crews, deploying, and playing five rounds within two and a half hours, which I think would have been a challenge in 2E. And we had no trouble doing it with the new rules, and I had never played it before. So I think that was very revealing just how streamlined uh, things are. So hats off to uh, the beta testers and designers on that. And it's hard to really explain it, but uh, just everything seemed cleaner. I found the disengaging rules much better. Uh, the charges and the way that walks work uh, really liked the way that terrain was handled um, as far as the just simpler. It, um, I expected to be a little overwhelmed by, you know, the new conditions and things like that really wasn't part of that is because I've been reading also partly because neither of these crews are really condition heavy crew crews uh, or token heavy crew crews. Um, I did have a hard time adjusting to the new pools. So the strategy was corrupted idols. And you know, we had, of course, five schemes, which I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, that was the hardest part for me because, uh, you know, it's one thing to read a strategy. It's another thing. And, and to read a scheme, that's a whole nother thing to actually play it. Um, I had a hard time remembering the two ways to score in each of the schemes, what the requirements were. Ended up flubbing the second point on both of my schemes because I misread them. That's just newness, right? That's not a problem with the game. It, uh, I do understand um, some of the feedback I've heard that uh, it feels grindy. The new strats and schemes are, are not easy. They are. I think it's a lot more difficult and challenging to figure out what schemes to take. I think that um, they are. They require more thought, and none of that is a bad thing, in my opinion. And, and once I think I once I get used to uh, the new strats and schemes, and uh, you know, get a few under my belt, I have no doubt um, that it, that grindy feeling will be less. I think the other thing that makes the it feel more grindy is um, I think the game's deeper now in three E than in two E. Now, granted, I've only got one game under my belt, but it felt like every action, every activation really mattered a lot more than in 2E. I just did not find myself with throwaway moments where I was just like, well, this doesn't matter. Um, that really only happened at the very end of turn five when, you know, things had already been kind of figured out and points had pretty much been scored and what had been stopped had been stopped, what had been scored had been scored. Um, but boy, you know, starting right on turn one, things really, um, really mattered. And it took, took some more thought. And, uh, one of the things that I love about Malifaux is it was a, it's a skirmish game where you don't just go and kill things. You have to really plan things out and you have to react. And uh, it just felt more like that. And most importantly, it felt like Malifaux. And I had a blast because I really missed playing. It's been a while since I played. And God, I missed this game. Uh, so it was really nice to get back to playing it. The uh, strategy was Corrupted Idols. And uh, my first time playing it, uh, interesting, interesting strategy. You have, um, at 
the beginning of each turn, you take a look at uh, who won the initiative and who takes the initiative. And based off the suit of the card that was used in order to uh, determine who gets to choose initiative, um, you place an idol marker, a 30 millimeter marker, and you can put it um, on the center line and the suit determines whether it's on the left side, right side, in the middle, and where it is. Uh, and then you can go up to an idol. Uh, you can A model can go up to an idol. It can interact and it can uh, place the, mod- the idol uh, anywhere from one to three inches away. And what determines whether it's one, two, or three inches is how much damage the model that interacted takes. It um, was not a good strategy for Molly. Molly does not have a lot of health. Her crew does not have a lot of health to give away. And there's some healing, but not a ton of healing. So uh, I don't think I would take Molly into Corrupted Idols again, but it was a nice challenge to have kind of a bad strat mat- matchup. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. My only feedback on the strategy is there's nothing currently in the strategy. And remember, we're at the uh, now end of the open beta. There's nothing in the strategy to handle when uh, you have terrain on the center line and the marker would end up under the terrain. So, for example, we had a a building on the left-hand side that was uh, on on the center line and it was an impassable, decent sized building. And the marker, you know, twice, three times, I think, uh, no, twice, um, was flipped to go there. And there was no place to put it. And the way the rules read, you don't place the marker. So we only ended up with three total corrupted idols markers on the table, uh, which, you know, makes things difficult um, as far as trying to score four points off of it. I'd like to see some sort of adjustment to that so that uh, if it's impossible because of terrain to place the corrupted idol, that uh, there's a replacement, um, whether it be you use uh, the suit of the losing initiative player or maybe you get it as close to that location as possible you know based off of the constraints of the train i don't i don't know but um i don't feel like i got the full uh sense of what, how corrupted idols plays with uh just we didn't have a marker on turn one didn't have a marker on turn three but very strategic feel to it a very different feel to it a lot of tough decisions you know past tokens are really important with this corrupted idols because you really want to be you know some of the last significant activations while you're playing uh so that you can really you know set that board state for the end of turn scoring me being up against ramos of course i was the one that had most of the past tokens but again i didn't really have the the health to be able to uh freely interact and move those idols um but, I mean, I liked it. Some quick thoughts on uh, Molly. Um, the first thing I'll say is that uh, I have never played a, ma- a master in Malifaux that felt the way that this Molly crew felt. And that's really cool. It's really cool that she just felt different. And I don't mean different from how she played in 2E because I never played her in 2E. I mean just just felt different. She's, uh, you know, only has 10 health. Her only real defense is her serene continence, which um, puts enemy attacks on a negative. Christian never went in on her. Um, Really, the only damage she took was from trying to move the idols uh, towards the end of the game. She went down to one wound, but that's because I made two um, uh, two three-inch pushes 
I would worry about Molly in um, against a crew that had a lot of positive flips. So I, you know, I don't have, I can't really speak to, you know, how resilient she ended, would end up being. Um, anxious to play her again. Um, the Gorgon's influence, which is, which was pretty amazing. And this is uh, at the start of the, her activation, you draw cards until you have the same number of cards in your control hand as the opposing player. Uh, he had an arcane reservoir. He had a seven card hand. There was uh, two Molly activations where I was down to one or two cards and ended up drawing five or six cards when she activated. That was very, very cool. Uh, the entire fading me- uh, mechanic is interesting where uh, if uh, and it's thematic throughout the crew. And basically, you know, you get a bonus every time a model, that model gets a bonus when it discards a card. Uh, I leveraged a good bit of that. So I had a lot of focus running around. Um, my rab- rabble rousers, you know, had three, four focus for most of the game. Um, and they would use it and then gain it again. Uh, I'm interested to play it again so I can get a better feel um, for kind of the. Uh, interactions of that fading mechanic and I think I can be a little bit smarter uh, about it to really leverage it some more uh, her attack actions were you know no big nothing really crazy her one more questions is interesting on the stat six it's nice it's got a built-in suit um, that allows you to end a condition to increase the damage by one uh, which makes it a you know a two four five which is not too bad um, the other triggers are uh, interesting. Uh, the tome allows you to drop a ski marker. Uh, the crow allows you uh, to force uh, the removal of a ski marker on your side uh, or on the target side and the, or the target has to suffer two damage. So that, that was interesting. I never did the disturbing story attack, which is a, ends up being three damage at a max um, it, comparing the opponent's uh, control hand versus the max hand size. Uh, the thing I probably used the most was constructive criticism, which is a tactical action. And uh, it's a stat six with a target number 12. Uh, so you need a six and it's got a range of eight. It allows you to target a friendly forgotten minion uh, that has already activated. And you discard a card, which has benefits for Molly. And the target gets a gets to activate a second time this turn. So basically, you discard a card and you can reactivate a forgotten minion within eight inches. I did this, uh, I think... Three of the four turns um, and had a reactivating uh, Rabble Riser, which uh, which was nice. Uh, That was nice. Now, whether trading one Master AP for the two Minion AP, that's a pretty good trade. You know, if the Minion is where it needs to be and you want Molly kind of out of the thick of things. I didn't really use much of anything else. Her premonition was kind of neat Every and I did that turn one. Uh, So I got a four-inch pulse and any number of friendly models within that pulse may discard a card to gain focus and to push up to two inches in any direction. Uh, what's cool about it is that her whole crew has a fading mechanic. So you get you get a focused one from Molly's action. Then each one of the models that discarded a card gets a, another benefit from their fading. And then uh, Philip and the nannies, you know, they're soaking up all of those benefits because she's got a thing where uh, if someone takes a fading, gains a benefit from fading near her, she gains the benefit as well. Um, nothing really to say about the necrotic machine. Uh, I didn't realize till halfway through the game that it's a significant enforcer, which changed things. Um, but, um, didn't have a huge effect in the game other than it's nice to have totems that are significant. Can't really tell what I've thought about Philip and the nanny. Um, she was, you know, kind of in the thick of it. Um, she was moving idols. Um, 
the chatty um, is not as good as it was in 2e. Uh, I mean, they can discard a card now to interact. Um, so, you know, the main reason I brought her was uh, f- was for that chatty, and I didn't really find chatty that big of a deal. But, uh, you know, she's got a nice 2-3-5 attack with some decent um, triggers. She's also got the one more question attack as well at 8 inches. But um, I, I need to get Philip and the nanny on the table some more. Um, Archie was Archie. You know, just beaten face. The thing that shocked me was I did not realize or just didn't register to me how good his leap is. So he's got a leap, and a lot of leaps in 3E, you know, require a suit. Uh, this one has a suit built in, so it's stat 5, target number t- t- uh, 10, and, and the target number has a mask and the stat has a mask. So basically he leaps for a 5. What's crazy is that it's a 6-inch place his leap is. I've seen other leaps out there and just assumed his leap was like a three or four inch. It's a six inch leap, which is pretty nuts. Um, kind of helps make you understand his cost nine. Uh, you know, that coupled to the fact that he can flurry and what's neat about flurry in a Molly crew is, you know, when you're, when you do a flurry, you have to discard a guard and with fading abilities, you gain benefits. So for example, when he flurries, he gets to do his fading brain freeze. And anytime he discards a card, which he does when he flurries, he gets to heal one, two, three based on the value of one of the cards discarded. So, you know, you if you discard a moderate, he heals two. So that's that was kind of a nice interaction. The Rabble Risers um, gain focus when they discard. So when the Rabble Risers flurried and discarded a card, they, you know, gain focused immediately, which is pretty pretty cool. Forgotten Marshall. Um, really, probably the big takeaway on uh, Forgotten Marshall is uh, the only real melee attack he has is a Pine Box, and it's kind of... Meh, it's a stat two against size, so in most cases you're going to be even with uh, who you're trying to pine box. His clockwork pistol is is perfectly fine. It's got a decent two three five. It's twelve inches, which is nice, um, but it does have critical strike. I think his you know his main thing was release the dead. It's a stat six, um, and the target number is ten of crows plus the cost of a named model, and you get to summon a you get to summon a uh, forgotten minion with a lower cost than um, him. So basically anything that is cost six or lower. The way that ends up working out is uh, you need a ten of crows uh, in order to be able to summon a rabble riser who comes in slow with uh, half or less of his wounds. And uh, <laughs> you never he's not a henchman, so he can't use a suit. So you never realize it's, it's tough to get a ten of crows or higher uh, in your hand. Um, I ended up, I think, summoning two rabble risers total, which isn't too bad out of five turns. Um, but I liked him. I liked him as a model. Um, it's definitely his shtick. I think that if uh, you don't get at least one or two summons off of him, I don't know whether he's worth the seven points. But uh, he does have hard to kill, so he's got some a decent amount of um, you know resiliency. Rabble risers were cool. Um, hard to wound. Um, Blade rush, uh, which I never really played into, um, allows him to charge through other models, and they suffer one damage when they do. Um, his I talked about his fading misfit, which uh, when he discards card, he gains focus, and which of course it couples with the flurry. He's got a sword with a one inch range. It's got uh, two, three, four, which is not bad with a critical strike not built in. And on a mask, he can take the action again on a different target. And then he's got challenge. Uh, but I enjoyed the rabble risers. Um, for cost six model, they're pretty good. Um, they have, you know, health seven. They're a five, five defense willpower and hard to wound. I miss having the plus flips on their swords, which they did in 2e, but, uh, 
No, they were cool. Uh, again, being able to summon them is great, and then Molly being able to reactivate them uh, was really cool. So, uh, the Krooligans are nice for four. Um, they, they're by, they've, they've got a fading footprints, so when they discard a card, um, they can remove an enemy ski marker within two inches of line of sight. That never came into play. That two inches is pretty restrictive. Hard to wound uh, from the shadows. I think kind of their big thing is they're by, the, by your side, and that when the model activates, you can discard a card to place itself within two inches of a friendly non-minion um forgotten um so some really nice mobility um i I actually never ended up using that ability partially because i forgot about it and partially and going back and looking at the game i don't know if i would ever had a situation where i would have used it except for maybe turn one Uh, but i had them from the shadow so i don't even think even turn one i would have used it um you know some scheme marker removal stuff on the back of the card uh but uh you know i'd bring them again i mean they're four stones so that uh that was the Molly crew. Uh, talking very briefly about Ramos, uh, tough matchup for Molly. Um, you know, Molly's big thing is if you take an action that you've already taken that turn and you're within her line of sight, you take two damage. So, for example, if you walk and then when you declare that second walk, Molly can see you, you're going to take two damage. Uh, so she really can grind you down and restrict uh, your actions. The fact that um, Ramos's crew has a lot of armor really mitigated that. Uh, there's a big difference between taking two damage every time you repeat an action and only taking one damage uh, when you repeat an action. So uh, her Ramos with a heavy armor crew was a kind of a tough matchup for Molly. Uh, Ramos, you know, seemed like he was Ramos to me. Um, his summoning felt similar, you know. Uh, it, uh, I will say that the pass token mechanic is outstanding. Uh, it really balances when you're going up against a summoner. I mean, come turn three, four, and five, you know, he had four or five more activations than I did. And, you know, I was cl- very was able to leverage those pass markers which was great and uh being able to pass the activations as well as really i I think i want initiative all five all uh turns two through five because of the pass markers i had so hats off to the designers uh pass markers are really a great mechanic and a great way to kind of balance out activation control i never felt overwhelmed uh by ramos I was happy that I uh, got Howard Langston dead on um, turn two um, with a combination of attacks from Philip and a Rebel Riser and Archie. Um, Archie fell soon after that uh, because I really think I could have been a little bit smarter about the healing um, and kept him around a little bit more. Um, but Archie's always been a hard-hitting, squishy model. Um, and uh, I was fine with that because uh, Archie felt like Archie. All right, so that's enough uh, rambling on. That was my thoughts about uh, my first third edition game. Uh, The big conclusion, I had a blast. I missed Malifaux. Third edition felt like Malifaux. The game felt cleaner. I handled a new crew with new rules a lot easier than I thought of, and that's not a uh, tribute to me. That's a tribute to the rule sets. So, uh, you know, hats off, uh, weird, um, from Aaron all the way through Kyle and everybody who's touched this game. Um, the game is in good shape. Uh, those of you guys out there and gals out there that, um, you know, helped with the open beta and put in the time and effort to help make this a, uh, a, a better rule set. Uh, can't thank you guys enough. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to play third edition more. All right. This is Craig on the third floor. Don't forget to leave us a, uh, review. 
uh, in iTunes and uh, make sure you subscribe. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming. Um, I'm working on uh, scheduling interviews with some of the weird designers. Um, uh, next week, I am doing a podcast with some people to talk about uh, Legion, uh, the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game, uh, which will be kind of our first non-Malifaux material. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and write a review on this podcast so we can find more people almost as cool as you are. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching for Third Floor Wars. That's T-H-I-R-D. We'll catch you next time on The Third Floor.